And yeah, it's a bit daunting in some ways, but uh, when you're recording a message for online distribution, you don't have to worry about who's listening to it. And there's zero chance of jeering, even though I know here, you know. <laughs> but no, it's so good to just be able to kind of be in the building, to be with people, to see, you know, people's faces and people's responses and, and just the, the joy that you have that you're not speaking to a video camera alone, but you're, you're speaking to, you know, friends and family, for, for that is what we are here. So, um, at Grace Vineyard, uh, we're doing a series on transformation. Um, and really, that's uh, just a, a small part of a season where the church is feeling that we need to be going deeper with God. And, and we feel that transformation is, is a key part of that. And transformation is at the core of the church's mission. And I don't just mean Grace Vineyard, but I mean Christ Church, the global church, the, the church which uh, is here and in heaven and everywhere. We are called to be witnesses to who Jesus is. And one of the really easy ways that we can do that is to share with people who we were before, who we are now, and what a difference Jesus has made to our lives. Transformation is a story of identity, of who we used to be and who we are becoming. And I say becoming because we are not yet finished. In one of his uh, letters, John puts it like this. Dear friends, now... We are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Even now, as we look back on the transformation and change we have seen in our own lives, and Tracy has just spoken to that in a really powerful way, we know that we are not complete. The change between who we are now and who we will be when Jesus comes will be like night and day. Yet even now we are living the kingdom life. We know what it is to know God, to know him by his personal name, Yahweh. To live knowing that we are no longer enslaved to sin that at the end of our life comes the good bit, that we're not looking into despair and we're not looking into hopelessness. Um, Isaiah puts it like this. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no longer be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end." 
there will come a time when, as a church, we no longer need to pray against knife crime, against violence in our schools and in our homes or on our streets. There will be no more cruel words between father and son or between brother and sister. We will no longer need locks on our doors and the poor will not be starving in the streets. There will be a home for every child and every person will have a place that they belong. But we live in the time of the now and the not yet, where through faith we get to see that there is a new kingdom being born. But as part of creation, we also experience the pain of creation's wrestling with God. When we talk about transformation, it's very easy to focus on where we're going to, who we are becoming. But I think who we were when we started this journey is just as important. And I think it's important for two reasons. One, it is the rubbish from our past that God uses to show others that his kingdom is open to everyone. And I think also it is the rubbish from our past that God uses to remind us what he has rescued us from. When we lose sight of where we came from, we forget all the things that others have done for us. We lose our sense of gratitude, and not only that. When we forget where we came from, we start living out of pride, and we take credit for what God has done. And it gets worse. When we forget where we came from, we separate ourselves from the very people that we were meant to help. Our weakness is the common ground that we share with all those that God is calling into his kingdom. That is why Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what is this weakness? What is this rubbish that we're actually talking about. What is the common ground that we have with others? Well, in Romans 8 it says, creation has been subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Paul is drawing us back to Genesis 3 and the story of the fall of mankind. You all know the story. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree that God had told them not to eat. God responded, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. The consequences of Adam's and Eve's actions did not impact them alone, nor their descendants alone. The very ground of earth was cursed because of it. And if we look back further into Genesis 1, we see that God created us in his own image so that we could rule over creation. All authority comes from God, and he created us in his likeness so that we would have authority over creation creation. God called us into leadership over all that he created 
establishing the promise of our inheritance before the phrase children of God was even uttered. Human beings turned their back on all of that. They were given stewardship over all living creatures. And in Genesis 2, it even says that Adam even got to name every single creature that God had created. But instead, Adam and Eve turned their back on that, on all that God had given them, and instead they did the one thing from which they had been forbidden. Adam and Eve became like Esau, trading their birthright for a single meal. And then what? Well, God created the world, the universe. He created all living things, and he gave it to us. But with it came a choice. Whether we would obey God or whether we would rebel against him. It is easy to look at those words in Genesis 3.17 and see this uh, God of the, the Old Testament who is all fire and brimstone. But I think there is so much more to it than that. You see, God created the Garden of Eden of Eden as a place where we would dwell with him. When Adam and Eve chose rebellion, we had to leave, not just because of our punishment, but because God does not force himself on us. When Adam and Eve lived in Eden, God was their reason for being there, what gave their existence meaning. And because of their choice, God had to give us a new purpose. And so right before Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, God gave them a command. And to man he said, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. And I think the reference to food here is not by accident. It is easy to look at the piece of fruit that they took and say, what does it matter? It was just a a piece of fruit But the meaning behind it is deeper. God gave them everything. And they took of the only thing he did not give them. They were tempted, yes. But temptation cannot create a desire within us. The enemy of mankind is an opportunist. He found a way to take advantage of the desire within Adam and Eve to not simply receive what they had been given, but to take out of their own desire and will. In the end, I I think God gave them what they wanted, to follow their own rules and to live according to hard graft and not by grace. The choice made by Adam and Eve was freely made. God had not stacked the, the deck against them. On the contrary, he gave them the authority to receive all that he had made for them, all that he had done for them, and to turn it away. Paul explains in Corinthians 13, love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
God's patience would last through the ages until creation grows tired of its rebellion against God. And at the appointed time, God would bring authority again, this time to all of mankind, to choose once more, just once, between obedience and rebellion. But God did not abandon us to our own devices because he knows exactly where that leads. He set us to work, hopeful that in time we would learn to see that obedience to his will is what gives us our freedom, no matter how counterintuitive that might seem. I think there, there really is something good about work Uh, for the soul and it's something that God instituted for our good and I think right here there is a really important point about God's character about who he is and how he works even when we choose our own way even when we choose rebellion and to speak in a human way even when we choose the thing that puts us outside of God's will and favor God still has a plan to bring us back Do not for a moment believe that Jesus was not already prepared to die for us as mankind was being formed. Do not for a moment believe that the Father did not know what it is that Adam and Eve would choose. And do not for a moment believe that the Holy Spirit was not prepared to spend thousands upon thousands of years leading and guiding us back. And there are those who don't believe, who would ask, why would a creator allow all of this to happen? And I think the answer is that love does not insist on its own way. And what father wouldn't lay down his life for his children? For that is what we are, children of God. And it's not just me that says so. You may think at times that you have done something that puts you beyond the Father's care, but his mercy and his grace is greater than your sin, greater than the skeletons in the closet or the problems in your past or present or future. He knows every choice we make, and the reason is that he gave us the choice. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to God. Do not think that you could go your own way if he had not given you permission to do so. Not every choice we make is for our good. That much is obvious. But God knows us. He knows every cell in our body. He knows every atom that makes it up. He knows our comings and goings and so much more besides. He does not insist on his own way, but he always gives us a way back. There are times when God says no. There are seasons of waiting. There are seasons of difficulty. There are seasons of pain. But God is not changed by seasons. His love for us never changes. It cannot grow and it cannot recede. I am a firm believer that when God says no, when he makes us wait, it is for a reason and for a purpose. We may not know what that purpose is, 
We may not even get to know what that purpose is, but I think we see enough to know that there is one. 2 Corinthians opens with the statement that Jesus is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And Paul goes on to say that he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can be a comfort to those that are in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive. And when we face trials and difficulties, I think there are two ways that we can respond. And sometimes we respond in both ways. We can respond like children. We can look to God knowing that he is with us and that he will comfort us in every situation. And we can also respond like parents, that we can look to each other knowing that the pain we feel is worthwhile because someone we love needs our help. And that this situation, this problem, is how we're going to help them. And I'm not saying that we can approach every situation we face with grace, but rather that God calls us to be witnesses, that he asks us to be willing to share our mistakes and explain how God has brought good out of it. And I think the more that we do this, the closer we are drawn to one another. I do believe that compassion can only flow when it flows in two directions. And the word compassion means to to suffer with. It implies a relationship, uh, a transaction between two entities. Let me borrow from Paul once more. In Thessalonians, he says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. In the King James Version, it says, comfort each other. It is very difficult, perhaps even impossible, to comfort someone from a lofty place. And Jesus, who suffered more than anyone else, is a comfort to all. In Mark's Gospel, it says that when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he told his friends, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. How many of us in our worst moment would be capable of telling anyone that? How many of us would simply say nothing at all? Yet even in that hour, Jesus, we read, was praying for his friends. When he needed compassion the most, he showed compassion on his friends, praying to strengthen them so that they would not fall into temptation. Jesus did not pray that prayer from a lofty position. He prayed it from the ground. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That verse is not just speaking about us, but about Jesus too. He is that old woman who gave of everything she had, giving out of poverty. In the Garden of Eden, God gave us everything he had. And in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross, Jesus gave it again. We are the best witnesses of Jesus when we speak of his love out of weakness and not out of strength. 
Okay, we're going to go into breakout groups shortly, but before we do, I just wanted to share with you this picture. For me, this is a picture that sums up what the church is and what it means to me. Um, A handshake is probably something that is distinctively British, uh, a universal sign of welcome around the, the Western world, and a handshake is great for greeting someone, but when it comes to helping someone, pulling someone out of a hole, in the, uh, a hole in the ground, it's very difficult to do that with a handshake. When you need to help someone, you need a much better grip. Before COVID-19, it was almost customary to meet people in this church with a hug. And I think that's because as a church, we recognize that the reason that we're here is not just to greet people but to be in each other's lives and to help them. And for that, you need a better grip. As members of Christ's church, you are part of a kingdom, a family, a precious and very special member. As a person, you are of great value to God and to us. We're going to end the live stream now, and members of... um, church family are are welcome to go on to Zoom and join the breakout groups. If you're watching online, uh, maybe for the first time and would like to get involved, please do email Jill and Mark at um, office at gracevineyard.co.uk and they would be more than happy to to invite you uh, to join um, the Zoom groups and just get more involved. Thank you and God bless. Yes. Sorry. So there are four breakout questions. The first one is, um, do you feel near or far from God at the moment? Why do you think you feel that way? The second one is, think of a time that God answered one of your prayers. How did that make you feel? The third one is, If someone asked you how your life is different now you know Jesus, what would you say? And the last one is, pray for each other.